Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 42 is where we'll begin. And we're going to move into chapter 11 tonight as well. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little, little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward." What we're going to do tonight is we're going to finish up in this section and then we're going to move into chapter 11 and begin there. And I want you to understand that what we're going to be looking at tonight at the end of chapter 11 will actually set us up for what God wants us to see. Sorry, at the end of chapter 10 will set us up for what God wants us to see in chapter 11. So Jesus is teaching that to follow him and to believe in him and to receive him is to be fully devoted to him. We've been seeing that and how we're going to be persecuted and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I want you to see real clearly that Jesus is talking that we have to be fully devoted to him. And we're going to be dealing with that tonight and what that looks like in a little bit. But before we jump into that, let me remind you of something we've already looked at earlier. As we, We've been studying this section of chapter 10 for a while. Back at the beginning, I jumped ahead to this last section about where Jesus says in verse 35, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and so on. And I want to remind you of what we looked at weeks ago and what he's talking about here. This is referring to the judgment at the end, and the at the end of the tribulation period and what's going on. And go with me to Micah chapter 7 and it'll become a little bit more clear. Jesus is actually quoting from Micah chapter 7. And so go with me to Micah 7 and we'll look at verses 1 through 7 there and look closely at the context of this prophecy. In Micah 7 it says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there, was no, there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend, guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms, for the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You hopefully remember, as we've been looking at the scriptures for many years together, as we've been studying different books of the Bible, that the scripture says very clearly that there's going to be a rapture of the church and the, the church is going to be removed from the earth and the restrainer, the Holy Spirit's acting through the church in the world is going to be removed. 
and things on this earth as bad as they are now and we see the wickedness of man right there waiting to explode when things go when when hurricanes happen I live over on the beach side and when hurricanes over the years have happened to the point that devastation happened over there on the beach side on the island when we would come back we had to show our driver's license just to be able to cross the bridge the, the national guard was there the reason was they were protecting from looters who were just coming over to steal everybody's stuff while their windows and doors were gone. And, and the wickedness of man has been there and we see it across the globe. But just wait and see what it's going to be like after the Holy Spirit removes the church. Folks, you think it's bad now. Jesus himself even said, if those days aren't cut short, no man would survive. That's how wicked it's going to be. And Jesus is referring again here to this passage in this prophecy and uh, in Matthew chapter 10, and he's just reminding them that there's a judgment that is coming. Now, as he's talking about that, though, he continues his theme on the teaching of how following him will not make us popular, but will require full devotion in the face of persecution. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about a verse real quickly uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If I were to quote to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, many of you could finish quoting it with me where it says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But I would be really surprised if many of us could quote verse 15, but it's, it's needed. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Look closely. Jesus died for everyone. That those who live, those who respond to his offer of grace through faith and salvation, those of us who are born again and who have become children of God through faith in Jesus, we are to live for who? To no longer live for ourselves, but to live for Christ, for the one who died for us and was raised. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. There's something very interesting that happens in this section of Scripture that a lot of people really kind of gloss over real, real quick. Look at verse 38. I will go back to verse 37. It'll help us. It's, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I don't know if you all know this or not. That's the first time Jesus mentions the cross. We know later on he's going to be talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to teach his disciples that he's going to die and three days later be raised. But at this point, that's the first time Jesus mentions the cross. Now, put yourself in the people's shoes. We live on this side of the cross and we see the beauty of the cross. We sing about the glory of the cross and the wonderful cross. But back in that day, if you had told a regular hearer of, at Jesus' time that one day people would be wearing crosses as jewelry, what would they have said? Absolutely not. Because the cross was a horrific way to die. It actually wasn't invented by the Romans, but they perfected it. And it was very, very well known that to die on a cross was the worst way to die, humanly possible. Because it was a slow, painful, and humiliating death. Listen closely. Jesus says, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. We're going to talk tonight about the need to, by God's grace, say no to ourselves and yes to the spirit. No to the flesh and yes to the spirit. 
And as you're going to see, hopefully tonight in our study, to deny ourselves, to say no to our flesh, is a slow, painful, and humiliating process. To deny your flesh is not something that's going to happen in a special service where you cry a bunch of tears and all of a sudden you've, turned, you've denied your flesh. You're going to see in a little bit that it is a daily thing that has to happen. It's slow, it's painful, and it's humiliating, but it's necessary for us to be real, true followers of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus said, uh, if we're not willing to die to ourselves in order to follow him, we cannot be his disciple. But I also want to remind you of something he had just said in our last study. Remember, a servant is not above his master. So, is Jesus going to ask us to do anything he didn't do? Of course not. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Go to Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hopefully you understand that Jesus, when he lived on this, life, on this earth, even though he was 100% man, he was also at the same time 100% God. And he had the authority and the power to do what he wanted, but he didn't live for himself. He submitted himself to the Father while he lived on this earth, and he did nothing of his own will and his own accord. He only did what the Father had him to do. In John chapter 14, verse 10, he even says, the things you see me do are not me doing them, it's the Father doing them through me. John chapter 5, verse 19, the Son can do nothing on his own will or his own accord, nothing by himself. He only does what the Father has him do. And Jesus even humbled himself and submitted to the Father's plan for him to die for the sins of the world. But not only die, to die on across the worst way humanly possible to die. And he's known, he knew it was coming before he came. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Now, some of you may have the enemy try to give you a bellyache tonight, and I want you to say, I want to just say to you, stick with the study till we get to the end. But at the same time, allow the Spirit of God to show us when we're not willing to deny ourselves still. Because it's a daily thing we have to wrestle with. Matthew 16, look at verses 21 through 27. In Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, From that time, this is near the end of Jesus' time on the earth. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay each person according to what he has done. Go to Mark chapter 8. 
We're going to look at Jesus' teaching on this topic in Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's. Mark chapter 8, look at verses 31 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke adds something, and I want to see if any of you catch it. Actually, Luke didn't add it. The Holy Spirit added it through Luke. But go to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What's different? What's been added in Luke's account that's not in Matthew and Mark daily? The daily part. Folks, I want you to hear this. If you're born again, if you've been saved, you understand your need to deny yourself in order to be saved. Because to deny ourselves in order to be saved, we have to acknowledge we can't do anything to save ourselves. If you think you did part and God did part, you're not saved. We're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not, I believe in Jesus' work and I'm trying to be a good person. That person's not saved. Because you're trusting in yourself and Jesus, you need to trust in him fully alone. That's why the Bible says that we have to have faith in Jesus, and that's it. But at the same time, you came to a point, if you're saved, that you acknowledge, I can't do anything. I can't pay enough money. I can't be good enough. I can't do anything in order to be righteous before God. I'm guilty, and I'm deserving of hell and headed there. But his word says that he took my place. He lived without sin. He lived the life I could not live. He was punished in my place and he rose from the dead by his own power. And he will give eternal life to whoever will believe in him. And you denied yourself. You put no confidence in your flesh to save you. And you said, Jesus, would you do it? I believe your word. Would you give me that eternal life? And you were born again. And he gave you his spirit to seal you as his. But unfortunately, many Christians, and I'm going to say it, and I think I mean, I think it's correct if not most Christians, have never really learned how to deny themselves on a daily basis. I don't have time to go down this road. I wish I did. It's something I preached on briefly about when I spoke to a group of men at Men in Motion at Central Baptist yesterday at noon, and I went into greater detail than I have time to go into tonight. But I have found in my years of preaching and teaching now, coming up on 30 to 40 years of preaching and teaching around this country, that most of what we do 
in the church today is of the flesh and not the spirit. But we have not ever really learned to deny ourselves and to live in the spirit versus the flesh. So much so that we actually think flesh living and flesh thinking is spiritual. And we don't even realize it. God had me preach a message to those men about all the, not all, but many of the ways in which our flesh thinking has made its way into our churches and into our, in our lives. And we then all hopefully then realize, oh, wow, that's how we do things. And that's not what the scripture teaches. I just want to point out a couple to you real quickly. You know how we love to honor man. Have a banquet for so-and-so who's worked so many years and done such a great job. And he's been faithful and hardworking and committed. But you know, the Bible actually says that we're to be living with an attitude that says we'll save the reward for when we get to heaven. Actually, in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10, Jesus said, When you have a servant who's been working in the field come in, do you say to him, have a seat, let me feed you? Or do you not say to him, dress yourself to serve me and then you can eat? So we also, you also, Jesus said, should have this attitude. We're just unworthy servants. We've only done what we've commanded. Yet what we have done over the years is we started to glorify and honor man. We even put their names on a plaque and put it on a pew in our church or maybe name a building after them. And we have glorified man for what he has done. And we think that's spiritual when the Bible actually says we're to be waiting until we get to heaven for the reward. We should be just serving the Lord right now and not seeking glory from people. And how many of you have been upset because you worked hard and nobody appreciated you? How many people have been a little disappointed because they weren't acknowledged when the pastor thanked everybody for VBS working that week and they left your name off? We, without realizing it, are seeking glory from man here on this earth. We haven't learned how to deny our flesh. Whether anybody notices or not, if you did it for the Lord, nobody, you don't care. But unfortunately, many of us do. You want an easier illustration of this? Uh, I can give you two more real quick, and then we'll get back to our study. Um, have you ever noticed in our churches that we fight over our preferences? The music, or pews versus chairs, or whether a choir should be in robes or not. And we actually have learned to function seeking what we want, what we like. So much so that that's the flesh. The Bible actually says in Philippians chapter 2, just prior to those verses we read tonight, it says if you have any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being of one accord, considering others more important than yourselves. How many of us today have seen that in the church? You know, over the years, I've been to a few business meetings as a pastor, I hope I never go to another one ever again now that I'm traveling. That's part of one of the reasons I actually became a traveling preacher, so I didn't have to go to another business meeting ever again. But have you ever noticed the flesh that manifests itself if you've been a Christian for years in those church business meetings? And how they fight and argue. And so I actually heard a story just this week talking to a man who talked about how he got saved at like 19 years old. And a month after he got saved in that little church in, in Georgia, they had a business meeting. And he said, I was so disgusted by what, what happened in that business meeting. In the middle of it, I got up and walked out and never went back to that church. But, you know, I've actually been in those churches and I've talked to these people and said, this ought not to be. And you know what they say? They say, this is how we do things here. Exactly. Uh, let me give you another example real quick. I'm not asked for a show of hands, but how many of you have ever thought that somebody could do a better job than you of sharing the gospel with somebody? Have you ever had that thought? We all have, including me. We've all thought so-and-so could do a better job than I could. 
That's because you've learned to put confidence in the flesh and not in the spirit. The Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Well, let me just show it to you. Go there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Actually, we'll go to chapter 3. We'll jump to chapter 3. But why? Because you're not more knowledgeable. Ah, uh, see, you just said because I am. I am. It has nothing to do with that. But doesn't the scripture say, though, that the, he will give you the words? Yeah, he's given you a lot more. Yeah, no, 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 no. You said he's given already. The scripture says in that moment he will give you the words. See, when you think that Jim will do a better job, you're, well, let me let the scripture speak. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at what, as you know, they, this church was wrestling over, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow, follow Paul. Listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So listen, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Look at chapter 2 real quick, verses 1 and following. And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. By the way, that's not how preachers are taught to preach today, is it? They're taught to have the polished and have a great illustration and have their sermon all ready to go. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Folks, I'm just going to let the spirit just take it from there and I'm not going to go any further because I get back to our study. Much of what we do, if not most of what we do in our churches today is of the flesh and not the spirit. And we don't realize it because that's how we've always done it. And we even think that way. You ever heard the, the, someone say, well, we got to use good business principles when it comes to money in the church. We got to use good business principles real quickly. Go to first Corinthians again. You're still here. Look at verse uh, 26 and following first Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. Paul says, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being, actually some translations say it well, they say that no flesh, yep, no flesh might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have to deny ourselves on a daily basis. We need to be, and we're going to get into that tonight in the specifics. We need to know how to listen to the spirit and what that denying means, because there's a danger here as well. Because, and I'll get right to you, denying yourself may look different for Chris than it will for me. Denying yourself means you need to submit to what God's plan is for your life. We still want to be God. We in our flesh still want to call the shots. And we have a tendency when God tells us to deny ourselves, then we tell everybody else that they got to do the same thing. Remember that with John and Peter? 
Peter is told how he's going to die, and he quickly says, well, what about John? How's he going to die? And Jesus says, what if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You follow me. Go ahead. I saw, you were going to say something? The denying of yourself, we're getting there. We're going to get there. If you don't think it's answered through the end of our study, say so. And, but I believe it will be. I believe it really will be. Because we're going to get into specifics. We're going to get into specifics tonight. Real quickly, by the way, for the sake of time, let me just give you an example. Uh, just reference. You can write them down and double check me. In Luke 18, you're not going to have to turn, time to turn there. In Luke 18, 18 for 30, we see some examples. I'm going to show you some quick examples of people that weren't able to deny themselves and couldn't become followers of Jesus. In Luke 18, 18 through 30, we see the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and what, was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, ends up selling him, you know, hey, keep the law. Of course, the guy says, I have. Of course, he hadn't, but he thought he had. And Jesus sums it up, as you've heard me teach on before, into two things. I've summed up the whole law and the prophets into two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're able to keep the whole law, these two things will be simple. So why don't you do this? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And what happened? The guy was not willing to lay that down. And he wasn't willing to deny self and he went away sad. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23, Matthew 13, 18 through 23, again, double check me later, you see the parable of the soils and Jesus is explaining the parable of the soils here. And he talks about how the seed that fell on the rocky soil sprung up, sure looked like salvation, but when trouble came, it went away. And the, the seed that falls on the rock, uh, thorny soil and, and it sprung up, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked it. Again, there are those who look like they're part of the church and they look like they're saved, but when trouble comes or the things of this world start to be more interesting, they're not willing to deny themselves and deny their flesh and to be fully devoted to Jesus and whatever it looks like to follow Him. They want to follow Him as long as it looks good to them. When things don't go like they think it should, they walk away or things of this world seem more interesting. Go to one more passage. I want to kind of point this out to you. Go to 2 Timothy 4 because there's some good news in this passage as we look at someone who wasn't willing to deny self. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he's very useful to me for ministry. Now uh, these other guys, Titus and, and uh, Crescens, and, 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 uh, they're not bad, you know, they're not, they didn't leave Paul. They were doing ministry where they were. But Demas left. Why? According to the scriptures. He was in love with the present world. He was following, but the things of this world were more interesting, and he went away. But he also mentions one other person besides Luke. Who else does he mention here? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. If you all don't know who Mark is, his name is John Mark. And actually, he's the one that God used to write the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. But if you know anything about John Mark's story, it's pretty cool. John Mark was a young boy and young man when he started to go with Paul and Silas, when, sorry, Paul and Barnabas when they went on their first missionary journey. Things got a little hard and they went through some persecution and John Mark got scared and he said, I, I, this, I didn't sign up for this and he left. He went away. 
And then as we know in chapter 15, Paul, chapter 13 actually, uh, sorry, in chapter 15 uh, of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are deciding to go on another missionary journey and, and Barnabas wants to give John Mark another chance. Paul says, uh-uh. They got in such a disagreement about it, the two of them didn't go on the missionary journey together. Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. Oh, by the way, at the end of Paul's life, what does he say about Mark? He's useful to me in ministry. I'm going to ask you a question again. You don't need to raise your hands. I already know the answer. Have you fully devoted yourself to Jesus in the sense that you've never denied him? I'm sorry, never denied your flesh? No, there are times that you've not done all that you were supposed to do as well. Peter is another great example of that. Peter denied him too, did he not? But there's going to be those of us who are for real, those of us who have truly been born again, those of us who have really received his spirit, even though there are times we don't do this perfectly, he who began the good work in us will finish it. The, one, the question is, are you willing to lay it down? He's not asking you to lay it all down all at once. That's why I've always wrestled a little bit with that song we sing in church, I Surrender All. I don't believe God expects us to surrender all today. I, he's going to, we need to have an attitude that says whatever you want. But if he actually told you what all that was going to look like at the beginning, I think most of us would run. But we need to have an attitude on a daily basis that says, Lord, is this something you're wanting me to give up? You see the difference? It's not like, oh, Lord, I give everything to you. <laughs> God says, don't make me laugh. And don't, I'm, not, I'm not asking everything right now, but I'm asking you to give me this one thing. You've heard me tell the story about the farmer. The preacher came and said, hey, if I had 100 uh, pigs, would you, would you give me one? I'm sorry, would you give me 50? And the guy says, preacher, you know me. If I had 100 pigs, I'd give you 50. He says, if you had 50 pigs, would you give me 25? He goes, you know me, preacher. I, I love you. If you, had, if you needed 25 pigs, I'd give you 25 pigs. He said, if you had two, would you give me one? And the guy goes, preacher, you know I have two pigs. It's real easy to talk in the big, but God's talking to us on a daily basis to be willing to deny ourselves and say no to the flesh on a daily basis and yes to the spirit. That's going to be something that we have to practice. Well, I think taking up our cross, we've already heard tonight a few times, is what? Slow, painful, and it's humiliating. Now, real quickly, verses back to chapter 10 in verses 40 through 42. As we no longer live for ourselves, but live for Christ as his servants, we must keep in mind that if they reject us and our message, they're not rejecting us, but Jesus, the one who sent us. And if they do receive our message, it's not us they're truly receiving, it's Jesus and the Father that they're truly receiving. And we've already kind of touched on that a little bit already, where Paul said, I didn't come in powerful speech. I wanted the people to just put their faith in God, not in my great speaking ability. That was in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And those verses we read in 1 Corinthians 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, where he talks about how I didn't, no, that no flesh my glory in his presence, verse 28 of chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 2, where he talked about how I didn't come with plausible speech and, and men's wisdom. And then in chapter 3, who are, who's a Paul, who's a Paul? If they're just servants and the people that God uses are nothing, it's God who gets the glory. So I say this to you, stop making about you either way when it comes to sharing the gospel. Stop thinking that you're bad at sharing it and someone could do a better job and stop being proud if you think you're good at it. Also notice in those verses there in chapter 10, verses 42, 42, how Jesus points out that there's also going to be a reward for those who believe. 
He says there's going to be a reward. He says, but keep in mind, remember, if they receive you and your message, they're really receiving who? Jesus. And if they believe, who's the one who opened their eyes? You? So you're going to be rewarded for what? Stuff you didn't do. By the way, that's why it's going to be so easy for us to take those crowns that we're going to receive. Our salvation is a gift. But there is reward in heaven. And the Bible says there's crowns of righteousness and there's going to be rewards that we're going to be given. And there's going to be honor and glory given to us at the judgment seat of Christ and in the, in, in the new kingdom. And there comes a point where we're going to take those crowns and we're going to take them off and we're going to lay them at his feet. You know why? Because we'll all say, I didn't do any of this. But how many of us who have learned to function in the flesh have said these things? I've worked hard. I've been more faithful than the others. I showed up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday when others wouldn't. I've worked really hard. I've been committed. I, I, I. You won't get a crown for that. Anything done in the flesh, you won't be rewarded for, folks. You'll only be rewarded for what you've done in the Spirit by faith in Him. And oh, by the way, uh, if you're doing it in the Spirit and by faith in Him and denying your flesh and how you do it, you're not worried if anybody notices. You're not worried about whether or not they're going to reject you or not. And you're not thinking you're really good at it if they do respond well, because you know it's not you. You know it's not you. As a preacher, we have to be real careful as well, because there's a tendency to... Uh, well, there's a lot of people that love to come up and tell you how wonderful you are. But let me also tell you, there's just as many people that will just come right after that person and tell you how wonderful you're not. And it's actually a good thing. Years ago when I was a pastor in Chicago and God had just moved me from the big church in New Orleans and moved me to this group of 50 in, in Chicago and he was breaking me and teaching me how to follow him and I had only been there six months and I got wind that the chairman of deacons had had a private meeting in his living room at his house where he called the influential people in the church together and had a little secret meeting and he had had the discussion and said, I'm going to run this man off. Who's here with me to help run this new preacher off? I wasn't, I barely was 30 years old, my first senior pastorate. And I, the word, someone in that meeting came and told me what had happened. And I was in my office when they told me. And when that person left, I literally fell on my knees and started to cry. I really did. I cried. I said, God, I've only been here six months. I, you're taking me through this breaking process. You, you, you brought me here. This is where you want me to be. But now they're going to run me off. And God spoke to my heart that day. And he said, that's the best thing that ever happened to you. Look what it made you do. It made you run to me. Then he said something very interesting. He said, and don't pray that that man dies. Because even if he does die, I'm going to have people like him all throughout your ministry who are going to be a thorn in your side to keep you relying on me instead of your flesh. Let me give you some verses to write down and look at how the scripture talks about reward. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18. You can look at it later because there's really something I want to get into tonight as we close in chapter 11. So in Proverbs 11, 18 is one. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 and Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. That's Proverbs 11, 18, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, and Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, which talks about how we'll be rewarded, but we'll have to be persecuted in the process. Let's jump over to chapter 11, because I really want to get into 
the beginning in Matthew. Matthew, thank you. I'm glad you asked that, Glenn. Glenn. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 6. This is the exact same verses we're going to be studying again next week because there's so much here. But I want to pull something out of these verses for tonight that ties to where we've just been. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, again, we're going to be studying this passage in great detail next week. But I want to just say to you that John the Baptist is a perfect example of losing one's life for the sake of Christ. Would you not agree? Now, by the way, when I just asked you that question and you all agreed, I can almost guarantee you every single one of you thought about the fact that he was put to death in the prison. You know what I'm saying? Most of your brains went to he died for the sake of Christ. He lost his life for the sake of Christ. And that's true. But I'm going to show you that actually he denied himself and lost his life way before he was put to death. Let's go take a look at it. Go to Luke chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 17. I want you to see, and this I think is going to answer your question, the specifics of how in his life, he was to deny self. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel, the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he'll turn away sorry turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared look closely for God's purposes in John's life he wasn't to drink any alcohol he wasn't to have any wine or any strong drink by the way, for those of you that think, well, the wine back then wasn't alcoholic. Yes, it was. It's the exact same word in where Jesus turned the water into wine that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, don't get drunk with wine. It's the same word. And if you know in that story where Jesus turned the water into wine, the king, or the, the, the head of the banquet goes, hey, you saved the good stuff for the end. It was alcoholic. That was something years ago that preachers tried to say that it was just fruit juice to make it feel them feel better about the fact that Jesus turned water into wine and the Bible says that Jesus drank. But for the purposes of God in John's life, 
he was told not to have any alcohol. Now, again, we have to be careful because we all want to be God. And we want to take a scripture and say, well, that means everybody's not supposed to have alcohol. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're not to be drunk, but to have drink is not a sin in and of itself. But listen closely. I've heard too many Christians over the years take the scriptural truth that it's not a sin to actually have a drink and say, I can have a drink if I want to. My answer is no, you can't. Because if you are submitting yourself to the Father, you don't take a drink whenever you want to. You only take a drink when He says you can. Do you see the difference? You deny self. For Jim Johnson's life, and I'm not saying you have to live like me, God has made very clear that I'm to stay away from that. For the purposes in my life that He has for my life, and because of the role that He's given me and the publicness of my ministry, it would cause damage for some people who are weaker in their faith if they ever saw me have a drink, and for that purpose, God told me, you stay away from it. My question for you is, are you deciding whether or not you drink or not? Because, well, the scripture says, and I can do what, no. You no longer live for yourself. You live for the one who died for you and was raised again. What's he telling you? That doesn't mean that what he's telling you, you got to tell your brother they got to do too. What's he telling you? Is he asking you to deny yourself in that area? We'll go to Mark chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 8. Again, too many people take the scripture and say, I can do what I want in that area. No, you can't do what you want. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. For God's purposes in John the Baptist's life, he was to live away from people in the wilderness and to eat a diet of locusts and wild honey. Let me just tell you, folks, if you're called to be a prophet, you really can't get chummy with folks. Because once you start getting chummy with folks, it's hard to be the prophet. When I was a young pastor, I used to try to be everything the church expected me to be. And part of that is they expect the pastor to give counsel. Pastor, can I share with you my problems? Can you give me counsel? And as a young preacher, I actually used to try to be everything to everybody. But I came to realize over time that, as you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, it says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And it became clear to me that God's call on my life was to be an apostle prophet, if you will, one who's sent and traveling and at the same time who God's told me to just call it what it is and to be bold and loving, but bold about what the scripture says and don't apologize for it. But as a young preacher and as a young pastor, as I tried to counsel people and still preach the word with authority, it started to give me problems because let's just say that you come and you talk to me about personal struggles in your life. 
And then the next Sunday, as I'm going through books of the Bible, we're going to deal with what you just talked to me about the night before. You're going to think I'm preaching at you. And it hindered my ability to say, thus says the Lord. And I came to realize I wasn't supposed to be doing all this counseling. But there are people that are called to do that. There are shepherds and teachers and pastors. I was to preach the word and I wasn't to get chummy with the people. And for God's purposes in John the Baptist's life, he was to live out in the wilderness. And not only that, he wasn't wearing fancy clothes. And what was his diet? Locusts and wild honey. Does that mean that that's how we're all supposed to be now? <laughs> What's my diet? I'll be honest with you, I only had one meal today. I'm a little hungry right now. Uh, it wasn't locust and wild honey. Go to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. And by the way, my diet's between me and the Lord. John chapter 3, look at verses 22 through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and, remained, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. And John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet, yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples over, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. For the purposes of God in John the Baptist's life, John's role was temporary. He knew that his job was to point people to Jesus and that once Jesus arrived, he was to slip quietly into the background. What if God says my role for you is temporary? No, I want to live a long life. No, actually, the Bible says in Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Paul had a heart for the Jews, did he not? Romans chapter 9, Paul says, if I could go to hell and that would save all of Israel, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But what was God's plan for Paul? Was he to be a, a, an apostle to the Jews or to the Gentiles? To the Gentiles. And he had to be willing to lay down his desires and submit to the plan that the Father had for him. And oh, by the way, what was also the plan that the Father had for Paul? To suffer everywhere he went. Imprisonment and beating, being stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. And he was even told, Ananias, the guy that God used to heal him of his blindness right after he got saved, he says to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we see in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I know that hardship and imprisonment await me. I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know the specifics of what's going to happen to me there, but I know that wherever I go, the Spirit has warned me and told me that hardship and imprisonment face me. All the people in the, the, uh, the Jews then later on when a prophet came down, Agabus, and he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and said, thus says the Lord, the owner of this belt is going to be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. All the other Christians said, you're not supposed to go. But Paul says, actually, that's confirmation of what the Spirit's already told me is the role, his plan for my life. I'm willing to go. Why are, you, why are you breaking my heart by crying? I'm willing to go and not only be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the God. Folks, he has a plan for each of our lives. And we need to be willing to lay down our plans and submit to what his plan is for us. By the way, that doesn't really fill stadiums. 
And how many of you have been to Christian seminars and church seminars where they teach you to dream big things for God, try to achieve great things for God, grow big, big. The church has been taught to focus on church growth and how do we get more and more? And it goes against everything the scripture says because we have spiritualized the flesh and we think it's spiritual. Actually, the one who wasn't satisfied with his lot in life and wanted more was Satan. The one who was willing to lay down his glorious role and take the role of the servant was Jesus. Who are you going to look more like? Someone who's not satisfied with the role God has for you and you want more? Or are you going to be willing to look like Jesus and say, if this is the role he has for me, I'll submit to it. One was given five, another two, and another one in the parable of the talents, each according to their ability. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. It's, it's a gift of God, so no one can boast. Um, and then it says in verse 10, For we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Folks, I want to ask you to be willing to begin this daily journey of being willing to say on a daily basis, Lord, what does saying no to my flesh and yes to your spirit look like today? And you learn to do it daily. And you actually will find that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. The hard part is laying down our flesh. Once we do that, though, his spirit invigorates and we find that Christian life is a joy. Now, ultimately, John was put to death for righteousness sake. Go to Luke chapter three. For those of you that might not know the story behind how John ended up being put to death. It's going to make no sense to you if you think, well, God should have done a better job of honoring this man. Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, the Baptist, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people, but Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, by John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that he had, that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. John the Baptist, actually, in the role that God had for him, had him go to Herod. By the way, have any of you done any study on the history of Herod? Anybody that crossed Herod, what happened to him? Herod put, oh man, he was like, he killed his own kids. You wanted one of his kids to be killed? All you had to say to Herod was, you know, your boy over here, he's going to be a good king one day. Herod had him put to death. And God told John the Baptist, you go tell Herod that he's not supposed to have taken his brother's wife, which he did. While the brother was still married to him, he took her and made him his wife. Uh, made her his wife. And then John also told him all this other stuff he wasn't supposed to be doing. And, John, and Herod had him put in prison. Go to Mark chapter 6. We'll get more of the story. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Jesus has come on the scene now, and the king heard of it, Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah, and others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. 
For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he didn't want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Think about that. John's life ended in that prison simply because a king made a vow, a stupid vow, and his wife, wicked as she was, had a little girl come and say, instead of asking for a a nice car or a pony or anything like that, you go ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And this little girl, not even fully even understanding what's going on, goes and says what Mama says. And John the Baptist was put to death because of that. Now we would all say, He should have been honored more than he was. Great man, John the Baptist. When is our honor supposed to be received? When we get to heaven. By the way, you can go double check me. In John chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says when he comes back, he's going to dress to serve us. That's when we're going to be treated well and honored. We shouldn't be seeking glory. You going to try something, Jim? Go ahead. Just uh, Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It says, He shall enter into peace, and they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. That's Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. 57, 1 and 2. Yep. So let me ask you a question. So if we're to deny ourselves, is this how we're all to live our lives? No alcohol, bad food, no friends, death in prison, short time on the earth? Is that, is that what, because that's what we have a tendency to do, isn't it? I mean, that's what God told John to do. That's how you're supposed to do it. That's what God told John to do. That's how you're supposed to do it. Well, let me show you a scripture that blows that out of the water. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 16 through 19. Jesus is speaking and he says this, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus says, how can I describe this generation? How can I describe the people of Israel right now? He said, here's a good illustration, because what he was saying was this, I'm trying to get you to respond, and you don't want to respond. He said, you guys are like children playing in the marketplace. Back in the day, there wasn't daycare, all right? 
So when mom and dad had to go work in the marketplace, they had to bring the kids there with them, and the kids would just play amongst themselves. And typically, like kids, they'll, when they play, they pretend to be mom and dad. You know how you girls grew up with dolls and playing house and all this kind of stuff? I actually heard a comedian on the, uh, just this week say, uh, say this. He said, my wife, uh, was, when she was a little girl, used to play house and pretend to vacuum and all this stuff. And the other day, I watched her vacuuming, and I thought, she's living her dream. You know? So, so... But the, kid, the kids would play. The kids would just play together and, and, and they would say, hey, you know, I'm going to pretend to play a flute and you dance because they'd see their parents at parties. Or, and the, and, but I played the flute and you wouldn't dance. Well, maybe you're not in the mood to dance. Maybe you want to be in mourning. So I'll play a dirge and you beat your breast. But they didn't want to do that either. And then listen to what he said. He said, John the Baptist came and God's plan for him was to not eat and drink. So you guys said he had a demon. The son of man comes and he eats and he drinks. And you call him a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of, ta- of sinners and tax collectors. Isn't that amazing? Oh, by the way, did you notice Jesus spent a lot of time at parties? He did turn water into wine. What is he telling you? What's your life supposed to look like on a daily basis? Don't make a, I have my principles and I have my policies. No, on a daily basis. Are you willing to begin this journey of learning how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, Lord? He'll never ask you to do anything that contradicts his word. But you need to be willing to let him lead you and guide you in your life. And for some of you, he might say, I want you to go reconcile with so-and-so that you have a bad relationship with. And your flesh doesn't want to. And you can come up with all these reasons why you shouldn't. But if he says to you through his spirit, go make it right with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother, which I think his scripture does say. Are you willing to deny yourself? And humble yourself and go as far as it lies with you, seek to make peace with everyone? Like I said, we have a tendency when God talks to us that we think that's what everybody else is supposed to be doing. No. Um, in John 21, I already talked to you about it. Jesus told Peter how he was going to die, and he really wanted to know how John, sorry, how John was going to die, and Jesus said, that's none of your business. You want to deny yourself? Stop looking at how everybody else is living their lives. Stop asking what their diets are. <laughs> Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll close tonight with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. Hebrews 11, look at verses 32 and following. By the way, I love the fact that the Hebrew writer said, man, I wish I had more time. That's how I feel every week. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire. Look, escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some others, though, were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Wait a minute. Didn't we see some were escaped the edge of the sword? Others were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
And all of these, all of them, the ones who experienced miracles in his life and those that didn't, though commended through their faith, they were all commended for their faith, all of them still haven't received what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In other words, the life to come, the reward, the kingdom that's going to be on the earth when Jesus rules and reigns, we're going to be there with them and they're going to be with us. But they were commended for their faith and some of them experienced miracles and the children back from the dead, others didn't. They all lived by faith and they lived the life God had for them. Do you know this verse here where it says others... Uh, refused to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. I actually had a person come to me one time and say, the only reason you got this cancer is because you didn't accept your release. I'm like, that's not what that passage is saying at all. He goes, well, my wife, she had cancer too and she died of the cancer, but God would have healed her if she had just accept her release. That's not what the passage is saying. And unfortunately, too many Christians are running around telling everybody else how they ought to live their lives. Folks, that is your flesh because you want to be God. I'll make a little commercial as we close. I'm actually going to be preaching in two Sundays. I just got a phone call yesterday from the pastor at First Baptist in Melbourne. And he's doing a series on the book of Job. He's broken down the book of Job into the first three chapters and the last so many chapters. But he said, Jim, I need a break. And I also feel like God said, you're the one that's supposed to preach one sermon on the 35 chapters in the middle of the book of Job. He said, you're the only person I think that can do it. You have 35 minutes to preach 35 chapters. But he said, I also believe God's asked you to do it for this reason. That whole section is Job's three friends and Job having this discussion because Job's friends sure thought they knew what God was doing in Job's life. And he said, I know that in the journey you've been through with your cancer and all the role that God's had you, you've had many over the years come and tell you, you should be doing this, or you should be drinking that, or you should be taking this pill, or you should be. He goes, I want you to preach on those 35 chapters in one sermon and tell the people that God is the one who determines what his plan is in people's lives and not them. I said, I'll, I'd love it. I'm excited about preaching 35 chapters in 35 minutes. But what we've looked at as we close tonight, as we've looked at, that's where we're going to be going. We think we're being helpful, but we're actually living in our flesh because we want to be God and tell everybody how they ought to live their lives. Oh, by the way, um, you might go, I shouldn't say that today. Um, hopefully you've experienced that once or twice in your life, right? You sense the spirit say, bite your tongue. That doesn't mean that you're good at it. You're going to have to learn how to listen again tomorrow and the next day and the next. Look forward to sharing you some more from chapter 11 when we come back in these six verses. I'll see you next week. Love you. Thanks for coming.